0: Hi folks, we want to welcome you to our adult Sunday school time here at the Kerwin Christian Church and we're glad that you are with us today as we're continuing in our survey of the Old Testament and we are starting into uh, the section of the historical books which would be 1st and 2nd Kings and 2nd Chronicles. We're entitling this section that we're doing, Israel's Kings and Prophets. And basically, we're going to be focusing on the time between King Solomon and then the final king of Judah right before Nebuchadnezzar. Well, actually, as Nebuchadnezzar takes uh, Jerusalem and they go into the Babylonian captivity. So today, after having looked at some introductory material last week, and if you weren't able to look at that video, we would encourage you to go back and look at that. Uh, We're going to look at chapters 1. Through chapters two verse twelve, and I've entitled this section "Royal Drama" uh, because in reality that's what it is. Now it's interesting. What we're going to talk about today is how Solomon becomes king. Now you say, George, I we already kind of touched on that a little bit when we finished up Second Samuel and and as well as First Chronicles, where it mentions about David selecting Solomon and the nation rejoices and and all of that, yes, but those writers don't reveal everything that took place in Solomon becoming king. The writer of first kings does that for us, and so that's why I'm entitling this section Royal Drama, because there's really, well, let's look at it together and you're going to see. Now again, we're not going to read through these scriptures We're just going to go through them. We may refer to them as we go along. But I just kind of want to give you an overview of what's happening here today uh, before Solomon becomes king. So let's begin, first of all, again, with a section of scripture that you kind of have to wonder, why is the writer telling us this? Well, it's going to be significant later on. And it also kind of reveals where David is at, at this point. So we're going to look at verses one to four, first of all, and we're going to see David's condition. So we're going to see the issue of David's throne in this first chapter, but verses one to four is going to talk about his condition. So here's what I want you to see. As David advanced in age, his servants were not able to keep him warm with covers, so as David got older, as he advanced in age, as he got towards the end of his life, he wasn't able to warm himself. No amount of blankets could keep him warm, and the servants were struggling with that. So it's interesting what they suggested. Now, you might be appalled at what they're suggesting, but I'll explain to you why they're doing this, and I want you to see what's going on here. So it was suggested that they find a young virgin to care for the king, and physically warm him. You say, what? Are you kidding me? Yes. But you have to remember, at this time, I mean, you're talking thousand years before Christ. At this time, it is a patriarchal system where men are supreme, women are not. And it is suggesting that David take, quote, a wife or a concubine of some type, a young woman whose sole purpose is to care for him and to physically keep him warm. How would she do that? Well, by snuggling with him, snuggling with him to keep him warm. They figure will be better than trying to keep him warm with lots of blankets that aren't doing anything. So that's what they agreed to do. So they searched throughout Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, to bring to the king. So they found a woman, Abishite. Abishag, excuse me. Abishag. And so they bring her to the king. Now it's interesting when you read this, they're like, Are you kidding me? Is he like a I mean, this is, blows your mind. Well, She served and cared for the king, but he did not know her sexually. So if you look at the scripture, I'll I'll help you to understand. Look with me at verse four. The young woman was very lovely. She cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. That term know her means intimately know her through sex. He didn't do that. He's not able to, I guess, at this point. So that's not in his mind. She's caring for him. She's keeping him warm. Well, then that brings us to verse 5. And verse 5 through 10, talk about his son Adonijah. And Adonijah really comes up with a ploy. A ploy to become king. Because David is at the end of his life. And at this point, he has not publicly selected someone to succeed him on the throne. So Adonijah comes up with a ploy. So the first thing you're going to see is, is that Adonijah, the fourth son of David, proclaimed that he would be king. So he made a statement that he was going to be king. Verse 5 says, Then Adonijah, the son of Higgith, Higgith exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. Now you say, the fourth son? What about the eldest son? Well, the eldest son, Amnon, is dead. Remember? He was killed by Absalom, who is the third son. So the first son is dead. The third son is dead. Well, this is the fourth son. You say, what about the second son? The second son is a son of his wife, Abigail. He obviously is not on the scene at this point. Maybe something happened to him. Maybe he died. That happens. It's just not worthy of being recorded in the record. So probably Adonijah at this point is the eldest son. So in the mind of everyone, the eldest son should be the one who takes the throne. And he decides, yeah, he should be king. Okay, He should be king. So he prepared for himself chariots, horsemen, and 50 men to run before him. Now, if you remember, folks, there was another son of David who did exactly the same thing. That was Absalom. And in doing that, it looks like Adonijah is taking a play out of Absalom's playbook to try to win the respect of the people. So he's doing this. Now you're saying, well, how's David reacting to this? Well, the text tells you how David reacts to it. Verse 6, and his father had not rebuked him at any time saying, why have you done this? He was also very good looking. His mother uh, had borne him after Absalom. So again, he's the fourth son, but he's very handsome and David didn't do anything. So the writer notes that at no time did David rebuke Adonijah. Now, If you know anything about 2 Samuel, you know that, well, even from 1 Chronicles, that David has mentioned several times who he wants to be king. And it's not Adonijah. In fact, he even made a promise to someone that someone should be king. Now, for some reason, at some point here, David is not following through on that promise for whatever reason. Maybe he thinks he's going to live forever. I don't think he thinks that, though. But he hasn't publicly said anything to the country, to the nation, Israel, concerning Solomon being his choice to rule. But here's Adonijah flexing his muscle as the eldest son, doing what it looks like he's trying to do to claim the throne, and David's not rebuking him it sounds like we're going to have some issues here, doesn't it? Well, as we continue on, Adonijah received help from Joab and Abathar the priest as they followed him. So it's interesting here. Adonijah is getting help from, guess who, Joab. Now remember Joab, he's the commander of the armies of Israel. He's one of the sons of Zariah, He is, Zariah was the half-sister to David. And what happens here? Joab, who's been a thorn in David's side from the very beginning, is throwing his weight, throwing his support behind Adonijah, as well as Abathar, the priest. He is in the line for the high priest. He and his brothers Zadok are priests who serve the Most High God in the lineage of Aaron. But he now is supporting Adonijah as well, and they are following him. So their support would lend a lot of credibility to Adonijah's claim to the throne. Now, it is noted here that there were others such as Nathan, Nathan the prophet, and Zadok who did not support Adonijah. Now, when you look at this, there is one other name there. There's a couple of other names that are mentioned. But I want to focus on, when you look at verse 8, it says Shammai, just the name Shemai. He is one who gives support, who is not supporting the issue of Adonijah being king. Now, you're saying, well, I think we know who Shemai is. Isn't he the guy that cursed David? Uh, No, he's not, because we're going to see here just in a little bit in chapter two that Shammai is referred to as Shammai the Benjamite. So this is somebody else with the same name. And that happens sometimes in the Old Testament scriptures. You'll think you know who it is because they have a name, but that name, while it's unique to us, was probably very common back then. So this is another guy by the same name, but these are folks who did not support Adonijah. So Adonijah, the text goes on and tells us that he made sacrifices and hosted a great feast with his brothers and the men of Judah. So what's going on here is is that he decides, you know, we got to move to the place where I'm going to be the one who is the heir apparent, I'm going to be the one who's going to be made king. So he makes these great sacrifices to the Lord. He invites all the the elders, the men, the warriors of Judah, and all of his supporters to this great feast to celebrate his future kingship, to solidify his future kingship. Now it's noted here that while the sons of David went to this party, He did not invite his brother Solomon, Nathan the prophet, David's mighty men, as well as others. He didn't invite those guys. Now, that is very telling here. Why didn't he invite Solomon? Well, probably because it's known, and we're going to see that it is, that David wants Solomon to be king. Why didn't he invite Nathan? Well, maybe Nathan is someone that that really they didn't want there because he knows what's supposed to be and they don't want him there. David's mighty men. Now, that's very interesting that you would leave out. I think you would want the support of the mighty men, but he's not there. Maybe they're not all for this either. But there are others who are listed as well as those who are not invited. So that then brings us to verse 11 through 27, And we see that Nathan, the prophet, decides that he has to take action. Because if nothing is done, Adonijah is going to become the king of Israel. He is going to be David's successor, so he has to act. So here's what he does. Nathan went to Bathsheba and told her to approach the king about his promise to her. So here's what he does. He goes to Bathsheba. That is the mother of Solomon. If you remember, it was Bathsheba who David took, the wife of Uriah, and that ended up creating all of the crisis that would follow up later. Of course, the child that he impregnated her with died, and of course later she would have another son who would be Solomon. And that son is acknowledged in First, and, excuse me, in Second Samuel, as the son whom the Lord loved, that was Solomon. Well, Nathan goes to her and says, "Look, you need to go to David and tell him what's going on. Tell him what's happening with Adonijah, and did you make him king?" He said, "If she did not do this, she and Solomon would surely die when Adonijah is king." So he's making the point here. That if you don't go do this, so he's trying to make sure she understands this is something you have to do. Because if you don't go do this, Adonijah is going to kill you both. And the reason why, he's going to want to remove any threat to his kingship. That's how they were in the ancient times. In the ancient kingdoms, not just in Israel, but in all of those kingdoms, you eliminate the threat. And Nathan is saying, if you don't do this, Adonijah is going to eliminate you guys. Nathan stated he would come to the king and support her words concerning Adonijah. So he says, don't worry, I'll be there. I'll support what you're saying about what's going on with Adonijah. So Bathsheba went to the king. Scripture says she bowed herself, humbled herself before the king. And as they're talking, she reminded him of the promise he made concerning Solomon. Solomon. And when you read this, you find out very quickly that when David made this promise, he basically says to that this is in accordance with the Lord God. Let me read that passage for you. You swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, as assuredly Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. That's verse 17 of chapter 1. So she's reminding him that he made this vow. This is a vow before the Lord. Now, I'm going to say something to you. We don't really get into vows very much in our culture, but in their culture, vows were very important, especially vows made to the Lord. And he made a vow to her that her son Solomon would be king. Now, she also pointed out that Adonijah has made himself king and is feasting with the leaders. So she's basically saying to him, look, your son Adonijah, he's made himself king. He went ahead and did it on his own without you saying anything. And he's feasting with leaders. He's feasting with the men of Judah. So he's in, she's informing David of everything that's going on. Now, the scripture tells us that at this point, Nathan comes and confirms what Bathsheba told David concerning Adonijah. So while she's speaking with him, someone comes and says, Nathan, the prophet is here. Of course, obviously, from the way the text reads, she then leaves his presence. Nathan comes in. He bows himself in homage to the king. And then he goes on and says the exact same thing, pointing out what was happening. Nathan asks David if he has selected Adonijah without telling his servants. So that's kind of like a real sticky situation here. It's like, well, you know, he's making himself king. David, did you make him king, but you forgot to tell us? your trusted servants, the people who've been with you? Did you make him king? You see what's going on here? Nathan is really playing the field here to say, look, this is happening without your knowledge, without your consent, and it's happening, and if you don't do something, it's going to happen. So David asks for Bathsheba. He says, bring Bathsheba back in here and affirmed his promise to her concerning Solomon. So guess what happens? They bring Bathsheba back in, and he says, look, what I said those years before, they are true. Your son will be king after me. And then David gives some directions, some commands concerning what needs to take place. Now, when you read them, you're probably wondering, why would you do that? Why did did he do that? Well, because the significance, everything is symbolic here. The significance of what is happening here will really weigh upon the minds, the, the Israelite minds of that time, that this is David's choice. So let's take a look. Solomon was then to ride on David's own mule to Gahan where he would be anointed as king. So the first thing David says to do is, I want you to put him on my own mule. So David had his own mule. So it probably would be dressed in a certain way, decorated in a certain way, that everybody would know this is the king's mule. All right? This is the king's mule. So he would ride on David's own mule to a certain place, Gihon. This is probably the first time we've seen this place being mentioned. But He's supposed to go there, and when he's there, he's to be anointed as king. Now remember, this is very important that you and I remember that with their kings, it was an issue of them being anointed, and they would be referred to from that point on as the anointed one. Don't lift your hands against the anointed one. This is one anointed by the Lord. Now once anointed by Zadok and Nathan, so he's anointed by Zadok the priest, and by Nathan the prophet, they were to blow the horn and proclaim him as king. So they're to blow the horn throughout Israel, proclaiming Solomon as king. So this is all part of the protocol that's supposed to go on. After which, Solomon was to go and assume his place on David's throne. All right, so you see what's going on here. So he's supposed to take this procession, on the mule that is David's. Nobody else rode that mule but David. But here's David's mule. Solomon is riding on the king's mule to this place. He is anointed to be king. The horn is blown, signifying there's something major happening here. We have a king, long live King Solomon. And then he goes from there back to Jerusalem. And he sits on David's throne. He's king. Now, the text tells us that they did all that David commanded, and Solomon was anointed as king. So they did everything that David commanded, and Solomon was anointed king. And the people, now here's what happens because this is going on, the people celebrated so that the area was filled with the sounds of celebration. I mean, it was a pandemonium of excitement, pandemonium of joy that there is a new king in Israel, a a transition to power, so to speak. David has chosen his heir to be on the throne, Solomon, and there is excitement. Now, if you're like me and you're reading this story, you're probably wondering to yourself, well, isn't there a feast going on? Isn't there a party right now where Adonijah is there with Joab and Abathar the priest and whoever else is supporting them, plus, plus the leaders of Judah, they're all over at this party, but all this is going on, and now Solomon is on the throne, and all this excitement's going on. What's happening there with that party? What's going on there? Well, here's what you see in verses 41 to 49 is that the party ends. So while Adonijah was feasting with the others, they heard the noise of the celebration. In fact, they don't even understand why the celebration is taking place. They think that there's something going on. What's going on? They've got questions. So Abbasar's son comes, and and of course Adonijah thinks that he's bringing good news because he's a man of good reputation. And well... Adonijah is informed that David selected Solomon as king and he now sits on the throne. <laughs> Whoa. Do You see what's going on here? It, so before Adonijah had this plot, he had people who were helping him. He's got Apathar the priest, so he's got the priesthood there with him supposedly. He's got the, the, the army with him because he's got the commander of the army, Joab, And, uh, you know, they're having the feast, the men, leaders are there, and they're all like, yeah, you're the eldest son, you're going to be it, but everybody forgot something, you forget something here, and here's what you forget. David's still alive. And David can decide who he wants to be king after him, and he does. And he chooses Solomon. And when that chain of events is set in motion... Adonijah and all of his planning and all of his scheming and all of the stuff that was working on there, it doesn't work out. And there's nothing that can be done. And so the party is over. In fact, all of Adonijah's guests quietly left since they were very afraid of having supported him. You understand? But you're like, why would they be afraid? Look, folks, this is an ancient culture. And again, I told you, when there is a perceived threat to someone's rule, they eliminate you. And so here are folks who were supporting another claim to the throne who was trying to do it in his own way. And so they're afraid now. Okay, we may end up in the wrong place here. So they leave. Quietly, let's get out of Dodge. We don't want to have anything to do here. Hope nobody saw me here. Well, the text goes on and tells us that Solomon, who's on the throne now, was told that Adonijah feared for his life and he sought refuge in the tabernacle. Well, the text tells us here that what Adonijah did was he was afraid of Solomon now, so he runs to the tabernacle Which I believe is at Galbia. And he grabs a hold of the horns of the altar. Now, let me explain what that means because you probably have not seen that before. Taking hold the horns of the altar was a way that someone could claim refuge in the tabernacle. So as long as they were by the altar, grabbing a hold of the horns, they would be left alone because they would be, quote, taking refuge in the presence of God, at the altar. So this is what Adonijah does. He goes and he grasps the hold of the horns of the altar because he's afraid. He's afraid of being killed by his brother. Now, Adonijah stated that he wanted to have Solomon swear that he would not be killed. He says, "I'm not letting go. I'm not leaving this place until Solomon swears that he will not kill me." Now, I think it's interesting how Solomon responds. So, here's what Adonijah is doing. He's trying to set the. He's trying to dictate what happens here. Isn't that what we do when we find ourselves in trouble? We want to set the terms of what happens with us. Okay, so here Adonijah is trying to set the terms of what is happening with him. Well, the problem is Adonijah can't set those terms. And here's what I want you to see. Verse 52, here is Solomon's response. Now notice, Solomon's not swearing anything. He's just stating something. Solomon said, if he proves himself a worthy man... Not one hair on him shall fall to the earth, but if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. Wow. Pretty pretty wise, pretty powerful. He's not committing himself to not killing him, but he's saying it's all dependent upon Adonijah. So Solomon proclaimed that if he did right, then not one hair on his head would fall. Basically meaning... He wouldn't be killed. However, if Adonijah did wickedly, then he would die. Wow. Wow. Pretty profound. He's not committing, doing what Adonijah wants him to do. That's where he's not going to kill him. He's basically leaving it in Adonijah's hands. Your life and your death is in your hands. Depends on how you act. So Adonijah came and bowed himself before Solomon, who then sent him to his house. So he comes and submits. He bows the knee, so to speak, to Solomon. And Solomon sends him to his house. We've kind of seen that before. Remember when Absalom came after being an exile, a running from David because he had killed Amnon when he was brought back? He appeared uh, before David, and David, what, sent him to his house. This seems to be the thing that they do. Well, that brings us now to chapter 2, where we're going to see David's charge, his final charge to Solomon, and the record of his death. Now, this charge, again, is only found here in this passage. This is not recorded in 2 Samuel or in 1 Chronicles. It's not even recorded in 2 Chronicles. But it's very interesting and it kind of tells you something a little bit about who David is as well. Because you remember, David was troubled by some people. And so he allowed them to, quote, get away with it, so to speak, or did he? Because we're going to see some things that he tells Solomon here. He's going to talk about three specific people. Two in a negative sense, but one in a positive sense. Okay. So first of all, when you come to, looking at verses 1 to 12, as David drew near to the time of his death, he gave a charge to his son Solomon. So as the time is drawing closer, now this isn't probably the day he dies. It's probably not even the week he dies but it's sometime right before his death. How can you say that, George? Well, remember, remember when Isaac is getting ready to die and he wants to give a blessing and of course Jacob deceives Isaac into thinking that he is Esau to receive the blessing. Now you realize when you read the passage that a few years later, that's not as soon as it happens, a few years later, then Isaac dies. So don't assume this is just right before his death. But there is a charge that takes place. Okay, it's very close to his death. And he gives this charge to Solomon. Now he called Solomon to walk with the Lord and keep his commandments. Listen to what he says, verse 2 I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways to keep his statutes his commandments his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn then the Lord may fulfill his word which he had spoken concerning me saying if your sons take heed to their way and to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. All right, so he's given him this charge about walking with the Lord, keeping the Lord's commandments. Yeah, but then it changes. It changes in verse five to where now David is going to talk about Well, some individuals that need to be dealt with. And the first one, of course, is Joab. Look with me, I'll just read it to you, verse 5. Moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime, and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. Whoa! Here's what David is doing. David reminded Solomon about the evil of Joab. Now, when you read this, he said, you know, the evil that he did to me. What evil is he talking about there? Folks, when he killed Absalom. Remember, David said not to kill Absalom. Joab killed Absalom. David remembers that. David also remembers that Joab killed the two commanders of Israel. Abner, who was Saul's uncle, commander of the armies of Israel. Remember when David was king? of Judah and Hebron, they were bringing a reconciliation between the nation because of the civil war that took place there, and Abner comes and meets with David, and David is going to make Abner the commander of the army, and Joab at that time is away on a raiding party, and then Abner leaves, and Joab comes back, and he's all mad because what do you mean, and uh, so he calls Abner back, and he kills them, slyly. Sneakily. He also did the same thing to Amasa, who was a distant relative of his, who David had made commander over the armies of Israel after the rebellion from Absalom. And so David is saying, Do you remember what he did? Now, I think it's interesting. He said, Now you deal wisely with him, but don't let his head. Grayhead, go to the grave in peace. Meaning, he needs to face the punishment for what he's done. Whoa. This is an issue of retribution, folks. This is an issue of vengeance. And David is expressing that to his son. Now, he mentions another person here next. David also called his son to show kindness to the sons of Barzilia. Barzilia. So the first one, deal with this guy. The next group is the sons of Barzilia. I want you to continue to show them kindness. This was a fulfillment of a promise to Barzilia concerning his kindness to David. You, do you remember when David was on the run from Absalom When he was on the run, Barzillia, because he was a wealthy man, out of his wealth provided for David's group the food they needed, the supplies, the water, and they showed kindness to David. Barzillia and his family showed kindness. His household showed kindness to David. And because of that, remember, David offered for Barzillia to come back to Jerusalem with him, and he would take care of him the rest of his life. Well, Barzillia says, no, I want to die in my own place and be buried with my father's. But David said, okay, I'll show the kindness to your sons. And so now Solomon is being charged, I want you to continue to show that kindness because Barzillia was kind to me. Kind to me. Isn't that interesting? He wants to make sure that that promise continues to be fulfilled. Well, there's a third person now. There's another person here that we're going to deal with. We've already mentioned his name earlier when I told you that his name was mentioned in the first chapter, but that Shemai in the first chapter is not the Shemai who's mentioned here. David pointed out the sin of Shemai the Benjamite and called him to deal with him as well. So David then brings up the sin of Shemai. Remember Shemai when David was on the run? He was of the household of Saul, and he was cursing David and throwing stones at David and David's men. Abashi, the son of Zariah, one of the commanders of David, wanted to cut his head off for insulting the king. And David, of course, didn't let him do that, and he spared his life. Well, there's still retribution here now. And so he's saying, this guy needs to be dealt with. You deal with him wisely, but don't let his gray hair, don't let his gray hair go to the grave in peace. Meaning, don't let him get away with what he's done. And so we see that here. Now, this is pretty shocking if you're really into David. You're like, is this David? Yes. And he's wanting to be sure that retribution is brought. But he's also wanting to be sure that promises are kept promises to barzillia now you go on then and you reach into verse 10 and it says that he died the text says verse 10 so david rested with his fathers that means he died david died and was buried in jerusalem the city of david so they didn't take david back and bury him in the tomb of his father's they buried him in his own tomb in Jerusalem. And we're going to see the mention of this tomb many times forward as we go through this text, because the sons of David on the throne in Jerusalem will end up being buried there. Now, it goes on and tells us that David reigned as king for 40 years. Now, and then it breaks those years down. Seven years over Judah, and 33 years over all of Israel. So this king has been there a long time. A long time, folks. Then it goes on and tells us in the text that Solomon sat on David's throne and his kingdom was firmly established. And so it's basically saying this isn't a kingdom that's built on a shaky ground, The kingdom of Solomon is firmly established, even in spite of all this other stuff we just saw in chapter 1. Now, that brings us to the end of our section today in chapter 2, verse 12. Next week, we're going to continue on with the story, and it's the beginning part of Solomon's reign. And you remember that David now has commanded, charged, Solomon with these things that he needs to fulfill. Two of them have to do with the issue of retribution. He also has the issue going on with his brother Adonijah. And so we're going to continue on, the story is going to continue on, and we're going to see the issue of Adonijah, Joab, and Shammai being mentioned in our next lesson. And I hope you join us next week when we look at this Or you can read the scripture on your own starting with verse 13 in chapter 2 and you'll find out what happens with these guys as Solomon's kingdom continues to be established and his wisdom is shown throughout all Israel.